Welcome to the podcast for First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights. During the season of Lent, we are doing a sermon series called The Footsteps of Jesus. The goal of this series is to explore how each of the steps or stages in Jesus's ministry are aspects of our own journey as Christians that we need to mirror in our lives. I hope you enjoy. Our first scripture reading today is from Matthew chapter 8, verses 14 to 17. Jesus is healing many people at Peter's house. When Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw Peter's mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever. He touched her hand, and the fever left her. And she got up and began to serve Jesus. That evening they brought to him many who were possessed with demons, and he cast out the spirits with a word and cured all who were sick. This was to fulfill what had been spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took our infirmities and bore our diseases. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our second scripture reading today comes from Matthew, chapter 10, verses 1 through 4. Then Jesus summoned his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to cure every disease and every sickness. These are the names of the 12 apostles. First, Simon, also known as Peter, and his brother Andrew. James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. Philip and Bartholomew. Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector. James, son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon, the Cananean, and Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed him. This is the word of the Lord. All right, we need to get some more energy going. This morning, man, they were staring at me like, like there was just nothing going on up here. So I'm not going to go like we're going we're gonna to be together today, right? Like we're going to do this together? Yes? Okay, that's what I like to hear. All right. All right, so... What is, our, what is our sermon series called right now? Do you remember? It's called Foot, Footsteps of Jesus. Good. Okay, we got some people. We'll get it, right? Right? After a number of weeks, we'll be there. Footsteps of Jesus. The idea behind this sermon series is that we're looking at the various stages or steps in Jesus' ministry as he works his way towards the cross. And as we examine these various steps or stages in his ministry, we're trying to figure out what he did that relates to us, things that we need to mirror in our own lives as Christians. And the goal, of course, is to grow closer to God and Jesus and to become more transformed in our walk as Christians. So, last week, here's the big question. What did we talk about? We talked about Jesus as what? Is teaching. Thank you. I will tell you, it's very hard to hear nobody remember anything that you said the week before, not even the basic concept. All right. We're moving though, right? Okay. So teachings, we talked about Jesus's teachings. And what I told you was that we need to take Jesus' teachings very seriously. That was what we talked about. And how when we Look at Jesus' teachings. These are not things that we can simply set aside. These are not things that we can simply ignore. But we really need to implement them in our lives. And it comes at a cost to us. And as we talked about with Dietrich Bonhoeffer, it can cost us our whole lives. So this week, we are moving into the fourth step of Jesus' ministry, and that is his healings, as we read about this morning. Now, Jesus, he finishes his Sermon on the Mount. 
comes down off of the hill, and then he begins healing immediately. If you have been here for any period of time, you probably know that my position on the world is very reason-oriented, right? Logic-oriented. I'm a rationalist. I'm a skeptic. I mean, you all know that. Some of you don't like that about me, but that's the way that I am, right? So when I read something in the Bible, I tend not to take it at face value. I tend to question and doubt. And even though it's there, I say, did this happen? I like to see corroborative evidence. So I will tell you that given that this is my disposition, early on when I would read about Jesus's healings, I tended to dismiss them as fictitious additions to his life. Because, this is why I believe this, because the earliest narrative of Jesus's life was written 40 years after his death and resurrection. So that's the first gospel. And so I thought, ah, they're trying to enhance the story, right? Make it a little better than it is. But I'll tell you what changed my mind about this with Jesus's healings, is that I started doing some, <clears throat> some research on the first century. And I wanted to know kind of what was this world like that Jesus lived in? And something that I discovered is that Jesus's healings in the New Testament are very much in line with the way that other healings were performed at that time in the ancient world. So something that really struck me was just the number of people who performed healings in the ancient world. I mean, there were lots of people who did this. I don't know about you, but my assumption was for a long time that Jesus was the only person they'd ever met who could ever do anything like this. Was that your assumption? I mean, that would be my assumption reading this. But what I discovered is that there were healers everywhere. It was a family profession. It was passed from one generation to the next. And if you were good at it, it could be very lucrative for you. You could make a lot of money as a healer. Now, what made Jesus quite unique is the fact that, A, he didn't come from a family of healers. From what we can tell, he begins healing when he begins his ministry, which was around what age? Like 30? So up until that point, he had no indication that he could do this at all. And then he starts when he begins his ministry. The other thing that makes him unique is the fact that he does not charge money for his healings. He's willing to heal for free. And as a result, he gets swarmed with all of these peasants who come to him looking to him to heal their various ailments and diseases. And what Judy read this morning was very much in line with that. So what happens is he goes to Peter's house. Now, Peter, just so we're clear, I know we have some ex-Catholics in here, but Peter was married. He has a mother-in-law. We saw it in the text, right? Okay, so he, he was married. He has his mother-in-law, and she's got a fever, all right? And he goes in, and he touches her, and she gets better immediately. And so word gets around town very fast that he can heal. And so as a result of this, Peter's house becomes the epicenter of Jesus's ministry. So they're coming to him. They're trying to get healed. And the question that I ask myself is, well, why are they going to him all of a sudden? Like, where have they been? Why are they coming out of the woodwork? Well, the reason why he's healing them is because they're poor. And what you find if you do your research is that if you had money in the ancient world, you had access to good health care. Whereas if you didn't have money, then that was kind of out of your reach, which sounds a little familiar today, doesn't it? I mean, that's just the way it's always been, it sounds like, right? So if you had wealth, you had access to the best healers money could buy. But Jesus, he upends this entire way of doing health care 
by being willing to heal for free. And he sends a message out. He's sending a message. And the message is, every single person, regardless of your resources, deserves to be healed of your illnesses. That's the message he's sending by healing the poor in the way that he does. Now, why does he believe this to be true? He believes this because Judaism and Christianity is derivative of Judaism. It's grounded in one fundamental precept. And that precept is that all people are of infinite and equal value. All people are of infinite and equal value. This is what Jesus teaches to his disciples. We are disciples of Jesus, so he teaches it to us. And the idea is, is that no one person is better than any other person. So since everybody is of infinite and equal value, what that means is, for Jesus, we all should have access to the same basic things. We should all have food in our stomachs, a roof over our head, clothes on our back, and, as Jesus demonstrates through his healings, freedom from illness. Now, what does this sound very much like? This sounds like Matthew 25, right? I mean, this is essentially how he lays that out, and these are the things that Jesus talks about in God's kingdom. So, the more people in our world who have those basic things that you see up there, the more people who have those things, then the closer we get to creating God's kingdom on earth. Which raises a very important question for me. If Jesus is our model of how we are supposed to heal, then does Jesus expect Christians to provide the best possible health care to all people? Now, in posing this question, I know some of you automatically are saying, get political on me, Alex. <laughs> That's what you're thinking. But I'm not. I'm actually not trying to be political at all. I'm doing this because I want to talk to you about a few scenarios. I want to run through some scenarios that I hope will expose some blind spots in the way that we think about caring for the sick. Are you okay with that? Are we okay with that? Okay. Can we go through some scenarios? All right, we're going to go through a few scenarios. Okay, well, this first scenario, we're just going to call it, I don't know, I'll grab a name out of the air. Eve, how does that sound, okay? So, Eve. Eve is a very healthy individual. Eve eats a very healthy diet. Small portion sizes, lots of fruits and vegetables, very little red meat, very little refined sugar. Also, she drinks very little alcohol. She's a good exerciser, gets to the gym a couple times a week, runs, lifts weight, does yoga, I mean, does everything in her power to stay healthy. On top of all this, Eve has fantastic genes. Fantastic genes. She has no real history of family illness, 20-20 vision. She goes to the doctor every year, gets a clean bill of health. She goes and she donates blood at the blood bank every six months. I mean, come on. She is the picture of perfect health. But then in her early 50s, Eve starts to feel a little bit lethargic. And at first she thinks it's just a cold that she can't quite shake. So she goes to the doctor, she gets some blood work done, and the blood work comes back that she has low oxygen levels, much lower than it should be. And so she goes to a specialist, and the specialist says, it looks like you're in the beginning stages of heart failure due to deteriorating heart valves. The way we're going to deal with this is we're going to go in and we're going to replace those heart valves, and you should be good to go. So they go in, they perform the surgery, but unfortunately the surgery is not successful. The heart valves aren't doing what they should do, and so now her heart's in a worse situation than it was when she, before she went in for the surgery. And so they come back, 
and they tell her, you know what, we need to put you on a heart transplant list because that's really the only way you're probably going to survive through this. So I ask the question, I pose the question to you. Does Eve deserve the best medical care available to treat her illness? Yeah. Think about that in your mind. These are rhetorical. You can say it out loud if you want. I mean, that's cool. I did ask you to be interactive, so that, that's on me, right? Okay, so scenario number two. We ready? All right. We'll call this person, I don't know, Adam. How does that sound, okay? No relationship to this one right here, but Adam. All right, Adam is a less than healthy individual. He eats more than he should, not enough fruits and vegetables. Most of his diet consists of fried foods like burgers and french fries. Uh, he doesn't get a lot of exercise. He leads a very sedentary lifestyle. And he also really enjoys drinking things like soda. He drinks more alcohol than he should. He likes to smoke the occasional cigar. And his genetics are okay. Uh, he has a history of heart disease in his family. His, di his dad d died at 63 from a heart attack. So he's also in his early 50s, going about his daily routine when all of a sudden he starts to feel dizzy. And then he feels the left side of his body starting to go numb and he realizes, I'm having a stroke. So he calls an ambulance, they get him over to the hospital, they administer some drugs, they're able to resolve the stroke without any real issue. But they do some tests on him and they find that three of his arteries are almost completely blocked and a stent's not gonna do the job. So they say, you know what we gotta do? We're gonna have to do triple bypass surgery on you. So they go in, they perform the triple bypass, but he's among a small percentage of people for whom the triple bypass doesn't work well. And so now his heart is in danger of failing. They put him on the heart transplant list as well. So the question I pose to you, does Adam deserve the best medical care available to treat his illness? Okay. Now, given the two scenarios I've just laid out for you, what is the primary difference between Adam and Eve? Besides the fact that one's a man and one's a woman, I know that somebody's going to say that, okay? So what's the primary difference is what? Lifestyle choices, right? Okay, Eve works really hard to eat the right things, to stay healthy, right? To, to stay away from being sick. Whereas Adam, he doesn't eat healthy, he doesn't exercise, and he puts himself in a position where he's exacerbating the health problems that he already has. He's not improving his situation. They both get on the heart transplant list at the same time. A heart comes available that will work in either person. The person who gets it lives, the other person dies. Now, in your opinion, who deserves to get that heart more? That's a trick question. <laughs> nice. <laughs> All right, I think most of us in here, given the facts I just laid out for you, would probably say Eve. And the reason why we would say Eve is because Eve did everything in her power to stay healthy. Whereas we would look at Adam and we'd say, well, you kind of brought this on yourself, with your own choices. If you had made healthier decisions, you wouldn't find yourself in this situation. And this is where things get kind of tricky, right? Because if I went around this room, this is why somebody said trick question, is because if I went around the room and I asked you, do both of these people, Adam and Eve, do they deserve the best medical care or should they get the best medical care? You know, sure, 
Absolutely. We'd say, yeah, of course, they should get it, right? But the problem is when we look at their life circumstances, all of a sudden that causes us to make judgments about who deserves that treatment more. And so what this shows us is that if you live an unhealthy lifestyle and you don't do the things you should do to take care of yourself, our logic tells us, well, you kind of deserve to get sick. You kind of brought this upon yourself, right? Whereas if you do the things that you should do to keep yourself healthy, then our logic tells us, well, you don't deserve to get sick, and therefore you are more deserving of this heart or you are more entitled to this heart than the person who made those bad choices. Now this brings me back to that fundamental precept that undergirds Judaism and Christianity. You remember what that is? Every human being is of infinite and equal value. Adam and Eve, in this scenario, would you agree, are of infinite and equal value? Yeah? Yeah? Okay. The problem is, in these two scenarios that I laid out for you, yes, they may be of infinite value to God, but they are certainly not of equal value to society. And based on the choices that Adam and Eve have made, when it comes to getting that new heart, we tend to believe that Eve is more deserving of it. Now, there's a lot of ways that we justify this decision, right? One of the ways that we do it is we say, well, if Eve gets that new heart, well, she's going to take care of it, isn't she? I mean, she's going to continue her healthy habits, and she's going to make the most of this new opportunity. Whereas if we give the heart to Adam, he may not change his health habits. What if we give him this new heart, and he keeps eating burgers and fries and destroys that heart as well? Another way that we justify this is with money. For the sake of argument, let's say that Eve has a good job. So she makes a good amount of money. So one of the reasons why she is so healthy is because she can afford to be healthy. Like a lot of people who have good jobs, you have flexibility in your schedule, and so you have time to go work out and to do the things that you need to do. On top of this, she has good medical insurance. So she can afford to have this heart transplant. It's not going to bankrupt her. Whereas Adam, well, he's not quite so healthy. He's in a different kind of situation because he doesn't have as much money. He's dealing with the fact that he grew up in poverty. And of course, that is a big reason why he has these health habits at all. It's because he grew up in a poor situation and didn't learn how to take care of himself. And he doesn't work a very good job. He doesn't have great health insurance, that triple bypass, he could barely afford to pay for that, let alone the heart transplant, which would bankrupt him. Now, this brings me back to the beginning of the sermon. How did I start everything off? How did we start? We started with Jesus. He's seeing all these peasants who are coming to him because they are poor and they cannot afford to pay a healer to heal them. So, between Adam and Eve, if Jesus were in the picture between the two of those people, who would, Ada, or who would Jesus be most focused on healing? Who would he be trying to deal with? He would be focused on who? Adam. Adam, obviously, right? Because Eve can afford to get the health care she needs, right? So he would be focused on the person who is poor who can't afford it. More importantly, Jesus would not be passing judgment on Adam for his circumstances. He would be willing to provide him with that health care regardless of what he had done. Would Jesus sit there and say to him, hey, were you eating burgers and fries every day for 30 years? <laughs> then I'm sorry, 
no healing for you. Right? No, he wouldn't do that. He would heal him regardless, wouldn't he? And I would argue that Jesus would heal him simply because he was poor. Now, this brings us back to the question I posed to you that began us on these two scenarios, which is, does Jesus expect us as Christians to provide the best health care available to all people? And I think that based on this text, the way that it's laid out for us, the answer to that question is actually no. And the reason I say it's no is because I think from Jesus' perspective, he would sit there and say, if you have the money to get the health care you want, hey, more power to you. Go get it, man. You know, whatever. If you, if you have the money, go get the health care you need. Who Jesus is focused on are the people who cannot afford it for themselves. The people who cannot afford good health care. In the scripture I read, do you remember what Jesus says to his disciples? He says, go, heal all illnesses and diseases. Go, heal all those things. Now, who are Jesus' disciples going to see? Who are they going to be with? They're going to be with the poor, aren't they? I mean, these are the people who they're geared towards. So this is our calling as well. We are called to do what Jesus did. We are called to find those who have diseases and ailments and to make sure that they are being healed of it if they cannot afford to do so themselves. This is what Jesus calls us to do. And on top of this, Jesus calls us to be like him and to not pass judgment on somebody who is poor for making bad decisions about their health, which is very common, right? We sit there and say, hey, you'd be in a better position if you made better choices. But the truth is we shouldn't be passing judgment because a lot of time what we fail to recognize is that these bad decisions come along with poverty. If you were to just, I, I don't know if you've ever seen these studies, but if you just look at people's zip codes, Zip codes where people live in poverty, the health issues they have are so much greater than the issues where people live and have much more money. And guess what? It's the same today as it was back then. Like, not much has changed in that regard. So Jesus calls on us to bridge the gap. That is our job. We are to make sure that people who cannot afford good health care get good health care. Now, the problem is, is that most of us in here are not nurses and we're not doctors, right? So we can't do this on our own. We can't do what Jesus and his disciples did. We can't go out and heal people like they did. True? Oh, maybe you can then, huh? <laughs> if you can, I'm going to get rid of my, uh, my PPO, and I'm coming to you from this point forward. Can you? No, you can't. Most of us are incapable of doing that. We don't have the knowledge to be able to do that. And so... Because we can't do this, the next best thing we can do is be an advocate for the poor. And we need to give out of our abundance, if you have abundance, to ensure that those who cannot afford the medical care they need get the services that they require. And perhaps one of the best instances I have ever seen of this type of Christian advocacy came back from my hometown in Fredericksburg, Virginia. So when I was growing up, I had a friend in my class who had a father who was a physician. And I remember I went over to his house one day, he invited me over, and he had just like the biggest house ever. It was huge. I couldn't believe how massive this was. And his dad had a lot of money. He was a very good physician. But his father, after a while, decided that what he was going to do is that he was going to start a free clinic. It became known as the Moss Free Clinic. And he opened it up in Fredericksburg for anybody who needed free resources. So literally, it's a full-service clinic that you could go to and you could get checked out. And if you were uninsured 
they take care of it. It was no problem. And this was very important for our community because there were a lot of people, my friends included, who went to this clinic to, take care, to get taken care of. So every year, in order to keep this clinic afloat, Dr. Moss, he would solicit millions of dollars from the community to keep it going. And people gave very generously to this clinic because they knew how critical it was for the people who didn't have insurance. And Dr. Moss was very respected. He would keep costs down. He negotiated with companies to get the medical supplies at cost. He got x-ray and MRI machines that were used but very good into it. He got his doctor friends who were specialists to come in and donate their expertise and their time. And then he also brought in caseworkers who would spend time going through how they were living how these clients were living, and these consultations, they would give them advice as to how they could make better decisions, particularly with their diets. And as a result of this, he reduced the number of people who had to return to his clinic from preventable diseases. It was a really amazing thing that he was able to do. Now, I've always been inspired by what he did, very inspired by it. And I've always thought, could we do something like this here in Arlington Heights? And some of you may be aware that we are in the process right now of talking to architects about how we can redo some of the older portions of the building, which are over here. And we want to redo them primarily because they're hard to get around in, they're not handicap accessible, and they need to be. But if we have enough money, we also want to be able to redo portions of it so that it's better for our community right here, so we can do some other things. And within these talks, we've not just been talking about what can we do for ourselves, but what can we do for the community at large? And something that I've noticed is we have all of these nurses and we have some doctors as well in our community. And I'm thinking to myself, what if we took into consideration the idea that maybe we in this new facility could set up a clinic? Maybe not like Dr. Moss has, but we could have a clinic where people who are uninsured could come to us and they could get seen for the issues they're dealing with and fulfill this calling of Jesus. I mean, we have so many resources here. We have so much we can offer to those who are in need in this church. And I feel like if we set our priorities towards what Jesus is asking us to do, then we really can make a difference. And so I'm hoping that you all will take this into consideration. We're going to have some presentations in a while about how, what we're going to do, like the various types of projects we can do based on the money we can raise. And I hope that this idea maybe can become part of it, that we could provide some services for people in our community who can't afford health care. And so as we go forward, I just want you to realize that we do a lot of good. I mean, we really do. We, we are really good at a lot of Matthew 25. We feed the hungry. We give drink to the thirsty, right? We clothe the naked. We welcome the stranger. But this element of serving the sick, I think that's something we need to really think about. And I think that we can do it together if we're willing to think beyond ourselves and to think about those who may be in need in our community. And I believe if we come together and we really try, we can make this happen. So I look forward to working with you on that. I look forward to when we are trying to redo this portion of our building. And let's try to lift not up not only ourselves, but also our community. Amen. Thanks for listening. And if you want to learn more about First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights, please visit www.firstpresah.org for more information on service times, directions, and to learn more about the First Pres family of faith.